Now arriving downtown Santa Monica Station. Hey Adam, it's time for notes on your notes. I'm Adam Lesser. And I'm Joshua Townsend. Welcome to Notes on Your Notes. It is the spring of 2021. Wow. We're moving now, huh? We're getting some blooming. Yeah. Um, I was in LA about a month ago. I had allergies. Like, I've never had allergies in my life. So I'm really not an allergy guy. And I suddenly, like, my eyes were on fire. Wow. That dry, dry pollen. Uh, so when you're when you're in the tropical lands there, you don't you don't have that. When I came back, it was gone. It's humid here. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, I'll get it. Um, we are meeting today because we wanted to bring you something that we don't normally share with our listeners, but it was a really amazing talk that Joshua gave about the third way. And we'll talk about what the third way is, but we just want to tell you, it came out of uh, our January uh, supporting your creative vision class for 2021. So for those of you who don't know, this year, Joshua and I started teaching um, classes to help people um, set creative priorities, set goals, set intentions, have creative vision and to hold them accountable and really to keep people going on their creative goals consistently throughout the entire year. And it kind of grew out of the creative workbook, which we write for all of our listeners. Um, and as such, we have dealt with a lot of topics from vision to setting boundaries with people to discipline, like all these things to support artists and writers. And out of that came um, this really great talk, which you're about to listen to that Joshua gave to our class. We'll try to do this every quarter. We are doing this every quarter. So as a way to keep people um, on the on the right trajectory for their creative work throughout the year. So my question for you, Joshua, is um, how did you, like, how did this concept of the third way come up for you? What do you, like, we're going to talk about what you mean in the talk, but like, what was your personal experience? Well, my personal experience is that um, there seems to be a very strong riff or break in the creative process for basically two different kinds of people that I would watch all the time in all the creative endeavors that I worked on. And that is either the person who's hyper-organized, who's really together, structured, they show up on time, they do the work, they leave with all the pluses and minuses of that. And then there's the, the, uh, the typical sort of artiste, you know, that uh, creates on impulse, does what they want, lives more of a flamboyant lifestyle usually, doesn't stick to a schedule. And they also can get things done, it's just in a more chaotic way. And so, you know, I constantly look at that and, and I go, okay, how can I, how can I merge? How can I bring both of those together? It's, it's sort of like, you know, the sun and the moon, masculine and feminine, you know, going into chaos and then creating order. How can you do that in a way that's sustainable? Um, and so, cause what I find is that like, I can be very um, focused. I can be very um, on point. I can be very strategic in terms of you know showing up every day and 
doing my practice for a period of time. And then, and then it, it takes, the joy is not there. And so then I go into, you know, more of the random, chaotic, impulsive uh, sequences. And those are great too, but then I don't get the volume of work done. So then it's this third way, and other people have talked about it too. I mean, I'm just, we're just labeling it the third way, which is where you merge both together. And so in, in a way, it's almost like being wild and passionate and, and, and creative and, you know, outside the box and all that from seven to nine. You know? I have a question for you because something you said actually sort of surprised me, mm-hmm. which is that you are incredibly consistent and disciplined in, in a lot of your practices, like your meditation. Mm-hmm. And discipline is maybe a little, let's just say you do them for a long period of time. But it's interesting to hear you tell me now that there have been periods in your life where, have there been periods in life where you, you sort of decide to do a practice, a creative practice, and you do it consistently for a period, but then it starts to become on a schedule and gets a little joyless? Yeah, yeah, because that's where it's at. It's, it's, it's how, can I, how can I keep showing up for myself in my practice? And there's always gonna be those times where you're gonna hit the drive, where you're gonna hit the thing, where you're not gonna feel like it. And then I need to build out buffers and ways of approaching those sequences so I can keep going, because then you develop grit, you develop you know, these, these intangible things that make you go for any distance on any project. So it's not to say that, that that's not important, because it is, it's, it's vital actually, because you're gonna hit that resistance when you go out into the world to share your work. Because not everyone's gonna say yes right away. Yeah. And so, and so it's that, so, so you're developing that for that you know, other purposes. But the word, the word discipline has such a negative connotation in our culture and yet people um, want it at the same time. Oh, I wish I was more disciplined, right? People say, oh, I wish I was more disciplined, but then they also say, oh, he's such a disciplinarian or he's so disciplined, like it's negative. I think the thing that's missing from the word discipline are motivation and joy. People don't do things, it's because there's a lack of motivation, which you have to like look at. And if, and there's a lack of joy. I mean, I think, as you say, people hit the wall on projects and I think they, my, I often feel that it helps to have support at that point, you know, to help you. But I'll just say like going back to the early days of our podcast in I'll never forget because we released it around Thanksgiving in November of 2017, we were still sort of experimenting with format and we did an episode on discipline. And we actually, we must've recorded two. We were so crazy then. We recorded a short version and a long version. And to my utter amazement, first off, it's one of our most listened to episodes. Second of all, people both got lots of listens, which suggested to me that people listen to the short version and they're like, fuck it, I'm gonna go listen to the long version now. Like I want both. And I was just like, it's obviously an issue that people really struggle with. And particularly in today's day and age when there's so much distraction. Um, so um, it's, a, it's a hot, hot topic. And we, what, I think what we want and what we've tried to be teaching our class is like finding an individualized process for people that becomes repeatable in a way that's not disciplinarian, but that's coming from a place of, you know, joy and focus and motivation and vision for what it could become, you know, of like understanding also this is part of like the larger vision for my life. And if I see the larger vision, I'm not so worried that I'm stuck today. Yeah, that's so true. And it's people have all these expectations of themselves 
And some of them are realistic and some of them are not realistic. Yeah. Some people don't have enough self-awareness around what level of discipline they have and how can they incrementally. One of the things I've been playing with, and I do this, I do this stuff all the time, Adam, all the time. So I didn't know there was a thing called box scheduling. What do they call it? Box. It's where you put, it's where you, what they're basically saying, never write a to-do list. Only do a box schedule, meaning like you actually go from nine to nine thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There's, there's this. There was this uh, like five years ago. There was this saying on the internet. Someone wrote a blog post: "Billionaires don't have to do lists. They right. have everything is scheduled." Yeah. So I didn't. I didn't. So the people we. Uh, so I. I, I, I rich people, the people we, uh, you know, deify. Anyways, uh huh. So. I've never read that. I didn't, I just sort of like heard about it in the background, but I've always done that. Like I've always put in like, okay, from five to five 30, I'm going to do my pranayama from right. six to six 30. I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. And then and because they were saying that it was like this huge thing where people were like, felt like really like horrible that they didn't get everything they wanted to get done that day. I'm like, well, just schedule it. You know what I mean? Cause right. if you schedule it, then you know whether you can do it or not. I mean, there's always caveats. Anyway, my point is, is that, is that I was doing it the other day and, and uh, I'm doing this really morning thing right now, which is crazy, but that's okay. And at 11 o'clock, at 11 o'clock, I had just completed my thing that was supposed to be over at 1045. And in that moment, I went, yeah. And the, the, the funny part is, is that that 100% only has to do with expectations. So in that moment, I felt like I was winning the day because at 11 o'clock, I, I had completed something that was supposed to be done by 1045, right? Right. But all I had to do was say, oh, that should have been done by, uh, by um, uh, that should have been done. I'm sorry, where's my brain? By 1045. It, sh it should have been, yeah, it should be done at 1030 and here it is 11. Oh my God, I'm behind, right? So it has to do with the expectation. Yeah, so I mean, we've talked about, there's so many things built into what you just said that people may not think of them. One of them is that you make that schedule the day before, I'm guessing, or yeah, you start yeah. this forethought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a major problem of like decision fatigue and waking up in the morning and not knowing. No. There's so many Ex practices. So here's Ex my question with you, Joshua. Yeah. Did you have, did you develop this over 30, 40 years or whatever, like over your creative life since you were a kid or did you, were you always like this? I've, I've never had a job job. So if, if I didn't schedule my life, no one else was okay but is it something like so you're saying like in your 20s yeah. you started to develop practices yeah okay yeah. i'm just curious because i am i'm curious if if it's actually character and personality or if it's something that was developmental for you i i, I i've you know like i said i've never i've never had anyone give me a schedule so if i didn't schedule my life then it wouldn't get done so we might say this is something you had to learn by your circumstances yeah okay yeah like i do wonder about that like because it speaks to like what we're, you were talking about before like some people just love to wander and be wild and be inspired and have wild creative thoughts but they can't sit down and do a schedule right they can't work consistently to get the book written to get the art project done right and, and they have developmental work that they need to do around structure and scheduling and, and on the flip side sometimes people who are highly structured need to work on inspiration and creativity and artist dates and those sorts of things. But I, See, I, I, I've been able to do both and I flip flop. 
like when I'm on task and I want to get something done, I, I go to that. And then other times I just, I, I don't, I never use an alarm. I go through periods where I never really use alarm to wake up and I just sort of go, what's next? Right. So you go back and forth. I think some people, when they have zero structure, they sometimes have a hard time getting back to the box scheduling. <laughs> they drift for a while. And, and I have, I've, I've drifted for times and I, and I know that if I want to execute and I want to get things done, yeah. then, then, you know, you need to employ different techniques. I'll say one final thing before we get to Joshua's talk here, which is just this. Um, it, you know, it sort of requires you also to decide what the priorities are. You can't, you can't do everything on the to-do list. And that's the problem. That's why the to-do list is emotionally unsatisfying is because you can't do it all. And you're better off just looking at it the night before and saying, this is what's feasible tomorrow. And this is what's going to give me a sense of accomplishment. And these are most importantly, the most important things for me to do tomorrow. And then letting everything else go. Because otherwise... You, yeah, I'm going to say setting yourself up to win. you got right. to set yourself up to win because otherwise your alternative is to set yourself up to lose. Right. right. Why would you want to do that? Exactly. You're inspiring me, Joshua. Um, this is a good reminder for me. I miss, I miss these conversations. So anyways, without further ado, this is Joshua. This was from January 24th of this year. Uh, and uh, it was a great talk that all of our students really loved. Enjoy. What we are working on, we're working on something really specific and very exciting. And it's actually groundbreaking because most of the time in our world, the artist has two approaches. And the first approach is sort of high discipline, um, almost like taking the idea of like an artistic creative life and put it into like a factory worker's life. Meaning showing up at nine o'clock, working from nine to 12, taking an hour lunch break, going back to the grind, right? So that's one paradigm. Then the other paradigm is, is like, well, I am an artiste. And so, you know, I, I do it when I feel like it. And I, you know, and I, I do it whenever. And, and the productivity can be kind of low, but, you know, I'm really connected whenever I do it, but it never goes anywhere. So those are the two like left brain, right brain, binary sort of um, models that we've worked with. And what notes on your notes, Adam and myself, and you know, there's a large community of people that are artistic creatives in this world are working on a third way. And the third way, the third path. And the third path is, is where you make state of being the primary choice. So the state of being is the number one thing. That's what I show up for. That's what I'm driving towards. In other words, through my state of being, I can make anything an artistic creative expression because I am the source, right? I am the, I am the, I am the creative who is the creator who is, you know, creating the thing, right? And the consciousness that I bring to myself is the same consciousness that I bring to my creative work. So my creative consciousness can, my creative work can only be as conscious as I am. Does that make sense? So why not go for the home run? Why not go for the real deal? And so as soon as I put my attention on that, then I leave this idea of like, I have to be disciplined. I have to sit down and do two and a half hours or the other side, which is like, you know, never showing up for yourself, never really, really, you know, going after what it is you really want. So that's our advocation for everybody. Now, instead of calling this 
a class, I, I prefer to think of it as a laboratory. And what I mean by a laboratory is different than what some people think is laboratory. So in, in the scientific community, they have a lab because they're doing experiments and they're going to see what happens, right? Everything that we talk about, everything that we do, we know works. We know it works. But does it work for you? See, in this lab, you are the crucible. You are the thing that you're experimenting upon. You're the one who's expanding and growing and seeing what how, how do you work? This is a custom job. This is not factory line like, you know, you do X, Y, and Z, and then you get a little certificate and you can leave and now you're an artist. No, no. That's for places that charge you $80,000 a year and then you go off and replicate it someplace else, right? This is about you and your creativity and that all of life at one point becomes a creative experience because you're showing up for you. And then it just so happens to be a project, a piece of art, a play, a piece of music. Does that make sense with everybody? So this isn't about beating yourself up, forcing you to show up at eight o'clock in the morning. This is about state of being of like, how can I show up for my pranayama practice or my moving my hip practice or whatever it is, whatever you deem your thing to be. Now, I heard some people talking about like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm circling around this idea of like making it six o'clock every day or making it. So that has to do with like a finesse thing. So the finesse thing is, is let's say I'm a highly structured person. Let's just say that, which I'm not, but I'm working on it. But let's say I'm highly structured. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to naturally bend towards showing up every day at six o'clock and writing. Right, So I can double down on my natural propensity to be structured and to use it towards my self-expression. Or I can choose to go, you know what? I'm so highly structured. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna give myself anywhere from six in the morning to midnight and I'm gonna sneak up on myself and I'm gonna do 15 minutes of writing because that's what I want. I'm choosing to grow in that way. Or if you're highly unstructured, you're gonna say like, you know what, highly unstructured works for me. I'm, I'm cool, I like to write whenever I feel like writing. Then you go, okay, give yourself an hour. You have to write a day every day for an hour. Is this making sense? Or you, can, or you can say, you know what, I'm so free structured. I'm gonna make sure I show up every day at six o'clock and see how, see how that impacts my work. See, this is the part where it's a laboratory where you're trying, you're authentically trying to find out, like if I'm supporting myself and I'm being the best supporter of my artistic creative expression, what can I feed my artist to help him, her grow? What can I do? How can I support? Where am I today? Not last week, not a year from now. Today, what's the next step? Because what I wanna extract, if I could extract one thing, is this thing of pressure. Pressure debilitates the creative process. Now, a lot of people are gonna say, well, no, 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 that's not true, Joshua, because when I have a deadline, it forces me to pay attention and to like do what I need to do, right? Fair enough, that's true. And I see people get results that way, but I'm talking about a creative process. If you're working in the creative process, you know, children, you don't wait, you don't tell children, okay, you have 10 more minutes left of, of, of play in the playground to enjoy the last 10 minutes of, of play right? They're in the sandbox enjoying it. And you say, you only have 10 more minutes. You go, oh man, I only have 10 more minutes. Come on, please. Five more minutes. And that's what I was playing with you, right? I was telling only 15 minutes for you, Madeline, right? It's like, no, don't. I want to play longer. And that <laughs> takes away the pressure. 
right? We want to make it a joyful experience. That's why we go for state of being. So let's talk about goals and intention. Goals and intention. So a goal is an external thing and intention is an internal thing. Thing I know is a technical word, but you know, we'll have to deal with it. But do you know what I'm saying? So I have a goal of, I want to finish a manuscript, but my intention is to be a more creative creative. A goal you can measure and intention is a little more malleable because it's more process orientated. Does that make sense? So working, sometimes people say, well, okay, if I don't use discipline, then, then, how, can I, then how, can I, how can I show up for myself? There's a lot of different ways. One way is to show up with the I am state. And by that, I mean, I am an artist. I am a writer. And everything I do is a part of that. There is no more separation. It's not like I sit around and I do whatever I do, and then I wake up and then I go write for half an hour, and then only in that half hour am I a writer which is what you were talking about that, Amy, I think you were talking about that. It's like, you know, you're a writer because you, you say you're a writer and then you want to have supportive, you know, reality of around doing it. But, you know, it's, it's an I am state. I am, I am that I am and touch that on. So there's that part, but a, a big part of this game is, is self-awareness. I cannot stress that more to everyone here today. Self-awareness, self-awareness, self-awareness. It's like, where are you today? What, David, David Lynch, David Lynch grew up in Oklahoma as a painter, like a house painter. He has a work ethic. He needs to show up every day at nine o'clock. That's what he needs to feel like an artist. My question to you is what do you need to feel like an artist so that you can hold that I am state? What lifestyle do you want to have? And then let other things feed that as opposed to imposing a structure. It's the opposite way we're trained, essentially. What life do I wanna lead? And then making everything around that support that as opposed to, I wanna be a goal, an artist, and so therefore I have to show up every morning at eight o'clock. So lifestyle, self-awareness of what supports you the most. Um, trying to think, third way, goals and intentions. Yeah, we covered all that. And then I'm gonna invite two different, I wanna make sure I cover everything here. What are your up to, what are your parameters? What are your parameters? Trusting yourself as an artist. Trusting yourself as an artist is a long road. It's a very long road and you grow in increments and it's an endless game. Trust is an endless game. Goals are a finite game. So go after trusting yourself as an artist and really, really uh, uh, tuning into that world. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna share two different exercises with you guys that, uh, Maybe, Adam, we're going to make this mandatory. I don't know, but let's find out. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Let's find out. And they're going to, they're going to sound very um, different, but they're very potent. And it has to do with the, enti the entirety of the creative process. <sighs> um, so your, your assignment, your assignment is to <clears throat> take a shower. Right now, we'll wait. Yeah, and we'll wait. We'll listen. We're gonna wait. Yeah, we'll wait. So the assignment is to take a shower. Now, non-voyeuristically, why is that important? So it's important because that's something that most of us do on a daily basis. So it's become habituated, right? It's a habit. 
We have a form, we have a sequence of events, we have sensory inputs, right? We have a bunch of things that goes on in the creative process. And we're isolating the shower as an experience for us to slow down and to actually experience the experience of the experience. Because what do we do as artists is what we describe or go into or examine or however you want to say it, experiences, events. And what's, what's more available to you than a shower? But it takes a lot of awareness. Notice I didn't say discipline. It takes a lot of awareness to actually be aware of your habituated patterns. So you can't check out. You have to be aware the whole time it's on a sensorial level. From the minute you turn the water on to the minute you're sufficiently dry or whatever parameters you want to put on it is up to you. So like, for instance, like I, I noticed that I always put my first leg out, my left leg out first and then my right leg. I, I need to be aware of that. I need to feel what it feels like for me to pat myself dry. I need to feel what it feels like to have the cold water going underneath my left armpit. Whatever it is, the smell of the soap. Is that, is that clear? Any questions about it? The second one is, is to arbitrary. Arbitrary is so huge for artists, I cannot even tell you. You need to sneak up on yourself and go, bam, this is arbitrary. I'm doing this. I'm an arbitrary level. I'm listening to this lady going on and on and on today. And I made an arbitrary decision, boom, that I'm going to listen like an artist. Because she was just going on and on. It just never stopped. So I could either have a lot of resistance or I could say, ah, I'm gonna use this moment as an artist to really tap into her and really be present with her and to take her in as an artist. And that's something that I'd like everyone to do this week, but don't plan it, sneak up on it. Arbitrary. Josh, just to, I just wanna ask a question about that. Yeah. Um, so this is a way to take an everyday occurrence and it, either you, maybe you're having internal resistance, you're not enjoying the experience or, or maybe the not from the opposite. Or the opposite. Maybe yeah. you're having a great time mm -hmm. and you are asking everyone to make to the, the intention, to make the intention of this is how I'm going to listen now. I'm now going to listen as an artist, as a creator. And how would you describe listening as an artist? Well, Lisa knows because she came to Hollyhock and it, it's, a, it's what we call full body listening, you know, where you, where you listen with your full body. That's like a whole nother thing. We, we, can, we can chat about it next week for like five minutes. I'll chat about it for right now. It's like when you listen, you listen with your whole body, like you really open yourself up and go into an allowing state. So it's not just the eyes. It's not just active listening. It's like literally full body, a full body experience where you become available to all the senses that, that, that's in front of you, and both what's coming in and also my sensations of what I'm experiencing. See, most people, most people either look at like the external event is, is the powerful event and that, and that they're responding to it. But there's an, also an equal response of habituated responses as well. And to be able to discern between which is, which is reality coming in and what is a habituated response that has nothing to do with the external stimuli, but the, the way I've chosen to experience it is huge. The difference between those two things is night, literally night and day. Well, thank you everyone. That was Joshua um, talking about the third way. And that was just, we had such an amazing class in January. We repeated it in April. 
And Joshua, what's next? And we're going to do it again in July. Isn't that, when do we start in July? What? I believe it is July 11th. I'm going to check my calendar. Sunday, July 11th. We always do it as a Sunday. Um, and the reason we do it as a Sunday is that we like setting you up for your week. Just as we talked about forethought at the beginning of this, Joshua's really good about thinking ahead of time about what he wants to do in his scheduling. Um, but we like that feeling of like, okay, it's Sunday night. What am I, what, what's my plan for the week? What, what do I want to experiment with inspirationally and in my process? And so, yeah, Sundays from 7 to 8.15. Sometimes we go to 8.30 Pacific time, and it'll start up again four Sundays in July. Email us if you're interested. Notes on your notes. Yes. So we, we talk a lot about, you know, creative inspiration and being in process, but also the idea of executing. And, um, you know, we, we took a whole, you know, we have, we only do this four times a year. So if you have interest, please do come. It's, it's an exciting class, but, um, like I'm already starting to like create exercises (laughs) and meet them out for the four weeks. Cause last time we did this, this thing called the arbitrary, which is you do something arbitrary every day. Um, and so now I, and and I'm a firm believer in playing the opposites. So now I came up with an exercise for, for the opposite. Awesome. So Josh is teasing it, but one of the things he did was an exercise called the arbitrary, which is, you know, I don't want to butcher it, but I'll just say it was a request to do something in your day that is completely arbitrary that you would not do to totally flip you out of your normative routine behaviors. And as a tool, the intention behind that, at least for me, maybe for other people is that by doing that, we open up some creativity theoretically, but it did, I did find it. And a lot of people, I was, really happy with how people loved it. So Josh was always working on exercises to sort of expand our creative creativity as am I. And we do some of them in class and some of them we make you do between Sundays and it's just, it's a good time. And all of this, all of this work that we do on Sunday night, actually the genesis of it was, is, is, is your work that you've created every year for how many years, Adam? I was looking like, back. I think I first wrote the first version in 2014, maybe. So yeah, maybe seven so, years ago, eight years ago. That's yeah, a I long came out of running, running creative creativity and accountability groups for artists of all sorts in LA over the years. So being part of those groups and yeah, this was a natural evolution. Um, Judgment, maybe why don't we give them for, whether people can make it or not in July, why don't you give them an arbitrary homework for people listening today? Oh, the arbitrary? Okay. So the arbitrary is, is really interesting. What you do is, is you... Um, at some point in your day, you make a decision to do something that is without cause or effect, meaning that you don't have to do it and you're not looking for a certain effect. So like, for instance, I live uh, in an apartment in Los Angeles and one of my arbitraries one day was, uh, as I was like, I'm going to do my arbitrary. So I arbitrarily make a decision just like that. And then I literally opened up my front door, ran downstairs, looked around and ran back up. Now, there was no external circumstance why I needed to do that. There's no cause. There's no effect. It's just a random act. Yeah. I walked, I walked backwards in, in, a, in a market, Bristol Farms on Beverly Boulevard. I walked backwards for about five minutes in the market. Random. So I love it. So for those of you who are like, this is an absolutely batshit crazy thing to do. And um, this is weird. Yes. I feel you. I felt it was weird at times. Um, but it, a lot of it, it's interesting. Our students said that it translated to other elements of their life. They didn't feel like in certain decision-making, 
around like dealing with the repair in their kitchen or something. They felt like it allowed them to like actually think differently. Um, I will say in addition to this, we do more stuff like setting creative visions and intentions. <laughs> we do scheduling for the week. We do more kitchen sinky sort of like process work around getting you guys going. But we also do stuff like this because we feel like it's all related. So it's that both ends of the, it's the, it's, it's doing both extremes so that you can go the third way. And the third way ultimately is, is finding your own sensibilities and your own self-awareness for what kind of artist you are. And you're going to find your own balance. Yeah. Point. Remember that one, one person who shared with us how she put a, a like a, a, a bowl over her head in the kitchen one day. And then she was with a guy that was repairing her stove and, they started grunting together to get the nut off or whatever it was. Yeah. And he was trying to anyway, so basically what it does is it gives you more permission to have more, uh, uh, more expression. That's right. That's right. So um, we hope you've enjoyed this. We're super excited to our continuing students listening. We can't wait to see all of you in July. And uh, this has been a pleasure. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Adam. Okay.